Well, tonight, guys, we are going to be in Proverbs chapter 16, so we want to invite you to be there with us. You have a couple options. You can open up a Bible and just follow along with us, and we would love to have you uh, just partner that way, but the other option is we've also provided for you a booklet. Just a reminder, uh, simply put, we printed the scriptures out in this booklet so that you can track along with us and follow along and be able to kind of mark it up maybe more than you would in your Bible. Now, if you guys don't have one yet, we should have some out in the the foyer, Uh, but online. We want to also make you just know we have them available for you. If you are wanting one of these to join us tonight, you can go to our website at calvaryrosal.com, go under the the messages and go to today's message, click the download button, and in the midst of it, it'll let you download the notes. And so you can download a PDF so that you would have it with us. And what that would do for you if you're doing online or here again, it's a space that you would be able to just kind of track and mark this thing up. You don't have to follow the pattern that I'm going to follow, but I do want to quickly point out again how, we're gonna, how I'm going to do it. I'm going to use colors because it works good here on the screen. Uh, you don't have to use colors. You can just use shapes and kind of follow the same thing but we use kind of a circle box to cause things, to focus on things that are good. We'll use a green line to see the result of that. We'll use a kind of a square red box for the things that are bad and the kind of red line out of that for that reality. We'll use the kind of a blue line that will be the kind of conjunction or the kind of connection between the two parts of a proverb. We'll use purple uh, that will focus on God and the things that he's doing. And that's what I'm going to do, but I'm pleased understand, again, you are not locked into that. If that's another way that works for you and you want to just circle or line it up on your own, do that. But the point is I want you to be able to track with us because Proverbs is challenging. It's challenging because they are so varied. They come in, in, in just in a way that can make it hard to kind of just have a, a flow of thought. And so our hope is that this is being helpful uh, to you to be able to track with us. And so we are inviting you uh, to do this one way or another to have the Bible open, either in the booklet or in a Bible in front of you or an electronic device, whatever that is, have it there. And then let's just ask him to speak to us. I'm going to lead you in prayer. I'm hoping you would pray as well. Let's ask God to make his word known to us tonight. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, you know we need it. You know that we need you to open up your truth to us in a world that is so confusing. Lord, in struggles that are our own, thank you for your word that is a light to our path that would show us how to live, how to walk, how to be the people you'd have us to be, and that your word not only would show us, but your word is powerful. It enters into us and helps transform us. I love that you do that, and I'm asking for it tonight. Therefore, give us understanding of the passages that we go through tonight so that we get what you're saying. But in your tender faithfulness, meet each person here in a special way so that maybe one of these Proverbs would be theirs. What they needed to hear tonight, what you would speak into them, and the Lord, that thing that you're speaking... Do that transformative work. Do that thing that makes us and draws us to be the people you want us to be. God, I'm asking for it. For every one of us, that you would meet us in your faithfulness. We ask it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I am super excited to be with us together in Proverbs 16. I mean, I really enjoy the Proverbs. There's a lot of wisdom that's found there, but I'm just going to tell you kind of as a 
you know, just an honest admission, there's some of my favorites here. I really like Proverbs 16. There's some of the verses that meet me. I like the focus that focuses uh, more in one sense on some of just seeing God's work and his faithfulness. And so I'm hoping that in the midst of this, God would meet you as he seeks to want to help us grab. And in some ways, you might want to think about it this way, that some of what Proverbs 16 helps us to wrestle with you know, in the incredible work of God that he's doing in our life, but also our space and place of how that connects to that, the responsibility that's ours in the midst of it, and it becomes a pretty fascinating reality. I think uh, that it would be helpful tonight. I think God will speak to you. I hope that in some of it, again, you find God just guiding into your life right now what's there, and by God's faithfulness, may he do that. So with that as kind of our beginning kind of just thought as we jump into there, join me in verse 1, and let's notice what he has. Verse 1, it says, The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer from the tongue is from the Lord. So the good thing that's being highlighted for us here is the preparations of the heart. It says that thing that is, that, that is prepared in the heart, that is there. He says that's man's. That's the thing that belongs to a man, that's to a man uh, that would be there, that we would do that. But the answer of the tongue says that, that thing is, is from the Lord. So this proverb just reaches out to us, and it's probably not hard to understand, but let's just begin to kind of wrap ourselves around that first part of it, the preparations of the heart. It's a pretty good description, but in the world that we live in, it might come across wrongly. We live in the world that views the heart as an emotional center. And so, you know, maybe Valentine's next week, you're going to tell somebody, I love you with all my heart. You know, and what you mean by that is that, you know, I'm just fully committed, my heart, my emotions are all there, and it really kind of comes across that way, and sometimes we read the scriptures that way. We think, okay, well, if we're talking about preparations of the heart, we must be talking about emotional or heart matters, but that's not really the way the Old Testament sees the heart. Uh, Hebrew word lab, it really has the picture of the inner man. Uh, The idea of the heart was the person that you are underneath. Not just the things that you do, the real you uh, under your course, which is not just your emotions, but everything that you are. I mean, the thing that makes you you underneath, he says, that's the heart. And the idea here is what's happening there. And this idea of the preparations has the idea of maybe aspirations or decisions that you're kind of thinking through there that's taking place under the surface, that you're kind of working there, that you're thinking about doing things, that you're, you know, with thought, reflection. And so this idea of preparations of the heart, it has this idea of what's happening beneath the surface. Like what's happening there that, you know, as you look at life and as you are thinking about moving forward and as you're thinking about what's there, he says, that's, that's ours. Like, that's there, and all of us have that. I mean, nobody has to tell you to do that. I mean, maybe we could do it better, but we all have that. Things that we want, things we long for, things we're thinking through. He says, that, that's ours. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And maybe the easiest way to say that is, hey, God has the final word. The idea of of the answer of the tongue being from the Lord has the idea that, you know, whatever things we have, but what God is going to speak or how that begins to work out. And again, it's an interesting uh, way that it even puts it. The idea, again, the answer of the tongue being from him. But again, I'm just going to land it in that simple thought that, you know, no matter what we think, no matter what it is we're wanting, the ultimate answer is, is, is God, what he has. And it's a wonderful reality. And again, just to say it in a simple way, that's the thing that exists right now in our lives. It's like we have 
aspirations or desires or dreams, but we really, what, what God has, what God has, that's firm. And, and, and sometimes that's the same, sometimes it's different, and his sovereign hand overrules that, and that's a good reality, and it's part of the reality that we have to wrestle through, uh, of understanding, you know, okay, well, you know, what God has, that's solid. What God has is there, and it's not always what I have, and so navigating through that becomes part of my great need. And again, maybe there's much more there, but part of our lives are there, and so some of that's going to be laid out to us uh, here this evening. Even as we continue through uh, the early part of Proverbs 16, it's going to speak into this reality where, okay, here are things I want, but what, here's what God's saying, you know, and, and, and this is going to be the firm thing. I mean, God, God's good and he's sovereign. What he speaks lasts and, and, and how to relate to those two things becomes incredibly helpful and powerful. So that's where we need to go. Well, in that, we just kind of continue because there is a little bit of a theme running through the first part of Proverbs 16 dealing with this whole issue. And so he gives it to us this way in verse two. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. This is all the ways of a man. So the way that we process things, that even preparations of the heart that we were just talking about, so often they just become pure in our own eyes. We become those who say, you know, say hey, I think this is good, or I think this is right, or I feel good about this, and see it that way. But, he tells us, God's different. He, he weighs. Uh, he looks at things, and he sees things you know, in, in a more real way, he raised, you know, weighs the spirits, or he looks beneath the surface into everything that's there. So we walk around this, and there's, again, just things that we think through. In one sense, we just begin with the first part of it and want to simply say how true this is. That in one sense, almost by instinct, most people justify themselves. That most people kind of look and say, well, I think, I think this is the right thing, or I think, this, I think I'm doing the right thing. Uh, most people gravitate towards this, and probably all of us here uh, do so in many ways. It doesn't even mean necessarily that we're doing well. I think about it this way. Charles Spurgeon would speak about this verse this way, and he says, they who are best acquainted with mankind will tell you that self-righteousness is not the peculiar sin of the virtuous, but that most remarkably, it flourishes best where it appears to be the least soil for it, <laughs> which is just a great way to say it. And some of you are like, I'm still trying to think, what did you just say? And it's like, you know, the idea is that, you know, sometimes we think about being self-righteous or feeling, hey, I think I'm doing good. And we think, well, that's probably for people who are really trying. And, and they're really, you know, and so self-righteousness can be a problem in that regard, certainly true. But the weird thing is sometimes the people who the least deserve to feel good about the choices they're making. I mean, they're making terrible choices. I mean, they're, they're doing terrible things, and yet they kind of justify. Like, I think, this is, I think this is good. I think this is really good. I think I'm doing the right thing. I think, you know, I mean, this, is, this feels like the right course. He's like, that doesn't even make any sense. You're making terrible choices in, in so many ways. And so he tells us here, you know, part of the problem in navigating life forward is we will almost kind of always begin to justify the choices we're making. I think this is the right choice for me. I think this is the right choice for me. I think it's good that I do this. Even when it's flagrantly wrong, even when it's flagrantly sinful, we will kind of, well, you know, if you really understood, you know, and yeah, and so that's a problem. That's a problem, but here's the wonderful thing. God's not there. God is not in that place where he is 
you know, moving fluidly and, and not, unable to see things. In fact, he sees past even the things that we're doing and to the reasons why we do it. That God judges not just what is done, though he certainly does, though he certainly sees things that we're doing. He understands why we do it. And that's actually what he's pursuing. That when he's looking at right or wrong and he's seeking to lead us in, in the things that he has for us, it's not just, well, I'm doing the right thing. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this and, and I, I'm, I'm pursuing this job or I'm pursuing this relationship. He's, he's like, I know why you're doing it. And I'm concerned there. That he's pursuing the heart of the matter and he's seeking to shape who we are in the heart, in that preparations of the heart. Like he's looking at, you know, not just what's happening, but why? Like where is that coming from? Where is it going? And that's the thing that he's seeking to weigh out which becomes a pretty incredible reality, a place that we'd look and say, okay, that's what he's wanting, that's what I, you know, ultimately, as we pursue walking in things that God would have for us, it should draw us into saying, you know, it doesn't really matter what I think, it matters what he thinks, and it's not just what it looks like on the outside, it does matter why I'm doing it, it does matter what's happening inside there, why, what, the, what the heart really is, because the weird thing is sometimes you can even do good things from terrible things, you know, jealousy and envy and, uh, you know, things that are you know, driving you to do even something nice. And it's like, it's like I, I know why you did that. I know what that is, and that's not okay. Like, I see that, and that's not going to be the thing that works for him. He's seeking to do a place that changes us from the inside without, which is incredibly glorious and, and an incredible place. Well, we begin to process a little bit of that through, and so maybe we begin to think, okay, that sounds good. How do we get there? Well, lots of answers to it. Certainly, it is the work that God is doing. It's certainly the work that the Spirit is doing. But I like even the way it goes into the next verse, where it simply gives it to us this way in verse 3. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. So the good thing that's being called for here is to commit you know, that which we're doing, commit whatever we're doing, our works that are there. He says, commit those so that those are for God. Make it so that that becomes the reality that's, that's there. And he says, if you do that, your thoughts, the, the things that are happening there, those will become to be those things which are established. That will begin to be the thing that works its way into the midst of this. So in one sense, he begins by just calling us Okay, so you're wanting to maybe do the right thing. You're thinking, okay, well, God sees my heart, and, you know, the answer of the Lord, that's going to be the things that last. So how do I get towards what God wants from me? Well, he says, well, it needs to begin with doing it for him. Whatever you do, do it for him. Whatever you're going to do, do it for him. So that ultimately it becomes a place that we do everything we do ultimately for him. Now, I like this. It gives it to us in Colossians 3.23 pretty simply, and it simply says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Whatever you do, do it fully engaged like your heart, like really you, not just looking on the outside, not that just pretending to be something, but that'd be you, but do it as to the Lord. Now, I just want you to understand how fully this is meant in this verse, whatever it is. 
See, we can be at church, and so some of us are thinking, so yeah, when I pray and I read my Bible and I go to church, I should do that towards God. Yes, you should. Yes, you absolutely should. Good idea. But this is everything. In fact, in context, here in Colossians 3, he's talking about how you spend your week, uh, talking to those who are slaves or servants, and we would apply that into our culture today, into your, your job, your employment. This is that thing that you do that seems, you know, it's not spiritual, it's not church, but that thing that you spend your days in, do it for God. That which some of you are retired or some of you, you're at home, do that for God. I mean, just whatever it is you do, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, washing dishes or, or, or doing things, there is a place that says, God, I want to give you my life. I want everything I am. I want everything I am to be this place of it was for you. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking to live my life so that you would be pleased with me so that whatever it is I'm doing, I, I want that. And here's the reality. God is pleased. God will reward you. It goes on there in Colossians and says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. He says, and if you do this, he rewards that. Which again, please understand in context, he's talking about people's jobs and stuff like this. He says, hey, do that for God, and he'll be the one that rewards you. Maybe you won't get advanced in your job. Maybe you won't get the bonus or the raise, or maybe you will. Maybe you won't get the promotion, but you know what? God will look upon that, and God will honor that, and God will speak back to that. And ultimately, if you had a choice of the earthly reward or the heavenly reward, you should want the heavenly one. It's like, I want that. That sounds good. And then like a great idea that God would be the one that would say, hey, well done. Like I, I, I was pleased with your job. I was, and if you did that for me, that God would be the one that would speak into that. Now, that's just a pretty big deal. And again, I just, I wish I could speak about this a whole lot more, but let me just say, it's a weird deal. For some of us, that's not how we're living our life. Because somehow we've cut up our life into sections, you know, where we've apportioned it like a TV tray or something like that. It's like, here's my spiritual section, and, and here's my fun section, and here's my job section. And in one sense, you know, it's kind of one of those places never the any shall meet. You know, it's like, you know, and I'm over here, I'm spiritual, but when I'm over here, this is family. And when I'm over here, it's fun. And, and it's never we're, we're a place where we even think that God actually cares about your job. He really does. He really does. He cares about everything you do. He cares about everything you do, and he says, hey, do it all. Whatever you're doing, just you should be able to say, God, I want you to be pleased at this. I want to be the man, the woman you want me to be in everything that's there. So that's the call. The call says, you know, do that. And he says, if you do that, here's what's going to happen. If you, if, you, if you do that, your thoughts will be established. Now, this is a pretty incredible nugget, and so Please understand, you can go a lot farther than we're going to go with this, but please kind of grab with me. It's, it's almost intentionally reversed because, quite honestly, we think about it the other way around, and it's not untrue the other way around. See, we would say, okay, you know, give your, you know, commit your, your, your thoughts to the Lord, like, you know, deal with that underneath, and then, and then that will establish your plans, like that will establish uh, the life, if you would get the inside right, then that will flow out. And there is incredible truth there. So please don't misunderstand that I'm saying that's not there. But in one sense, he says, you know what? If you'll do it for God, if you'll begin living your life for Him, it'll begin changing who you are on the inside. 
that, that because you're living for him, that motivation, that inner man that we started talking about at the beginning in verse 1, that heart of who you are, that will begin to become being established by him because you're saying, God, I, I want to do it all for you. I want to live my life for you. I want to live my marriage for you. I want to do my job for you. I, I mean, and, and so if I begin to live there, it begins to transform who I am, which is a pretty incredible thing. I don't know if that sounds inviting to you. I don't know if that meets you. I'm just going to tell you it does to me. Uh, this is one of those verses that meets me pretty much regularly. I actually have it right above uh, in, in my own life that in one sense would do this, this idea of that, that this thing would fix the motives. I actually have this sign right above my dresser that simply says, you know, has that commit to the Lord, whatever you do. And, and, and he will establish your plans. Like he will establish your plans. He will establish your thoughts. And, and it's almost this way that I, for me, it's not an uncommon thing that I begin my way. It's like, okay, I'm getting dressed for today. It's like, I want whatever I do today, like whatever I do today, God, I want to do it for you. I want to do my life for you. And, and so I love that. And again, I just love that he's telling us that this would become that thing that would fix our heart or again, deal with sometimes that place where our motives can be altogether off. And that's a wonderful reality. Uh, because again, if you're honest, some of you say, well, you know, yeah, maybe I did do something right, but <laughs> my heart sure wasn't in it. Uh, I mean, I was really worried about what everybody thought about me and that's why I did it. You know, I was, you know, doing it for all the wrong reasons. Like, well, how do I get around that? Do it for God, whatever you do. Give it to Him, and He'll begin changing you from the inside out, which is a wonderful, wonderful reality and a place that just invites you to this. I think about it, one of my favorite verses in the New Testament is Romans 12, where it simply calls us to live our life as a living sacrifice. Uh, you know, just says, you know, whatever, you know, just our whole life being offered up to God as this living sacrifice and, uh, you know, so that, you know, everything we are is there. And he says, you know, in one sense, it flows into this reality. It's like if you're doing that, then you'll be walking in the perfect will of God, which we'll come back to and talk about more in a moment because I'll use that verse on the screen. But I just want you to see it's here, that it's calling us to this place that it would do that. And it's just a great place for you to very practically say, again, for some of you, you're already doing this and that's how you live. And some of you are like, I don't do that. You know, I might do church that way, but I don't do Monday that way. And I don't, I, I don't, I don't do Thursdays that way or whatever. It, I mean, I, you should, you could. And it's a good way to start. It's like, okay, well, I just want to just live for you. And if I do that, that's going to begin to change so that not only am he's going to lead me to the things he has for me, but it's going to begin to be a right leading. It's going to begin to be a, a, a good thing in the midst of that. All right, well, more on that in a moment. But he tosses in another nugget in the midst of it, which is pretty profound, Next page there in verse 4, says, The Lord has made all for himself, yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. So the Lord made everything. There's not anything that is made that he didn't make. He's the God who made, and he made it for himself. He made it, you know, for, for his glory, his honor, his pleasure. And as we're thinking about that, he says, yes. <laughs> if you're wondering, yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. Now, this is one of those just deep, deep concepts, and some of you are going to be like, man, I want to think about that a lot more, and yeah, you should, and we're just going to talk about it briefly. Um, in the midst of this, it always raises up some of the doctrinal debates that Christians find themselves in uh, that really sometimes deal between sovereignty and responsibility, uh, sometimes theologically Calvinism or Arminianism, and I'm just going to give it to you really, really briefly and maybe frustratingly so, uh, but you might be wondering, so Jim, which way do you land on that? Like, where are you? Um, simply put, uh, I'm not either. I'm a biblicist, and I just believe that both of them are recorded in Scripture entirely. 
God's sovereignty is absolutely recorded and man's responsibility is absolutely recorded. They, they can't make sense, humanly speaking. There's no way. I mean, I can, I can walk you through it. There's no way uh, to rationally get there. But I'm kind of one of those people that's like, I don't have a problem believing the Bible over my logic. You know, you know I, don't, I don't have to understand everything to believe what God says. And God tells us, hey, yeah, I'm sovereign. I'm sovereign, I choose, and I know this, but he also tells us, hey, whosoever will, you could get saved. And so I believe both. But here's one of the things that kind of gets deeper behind that. One of the things that sometimes we wrestle through, and again, maybe this is you, God knew. I mean, I don't care which way you go with that. I don't care if you're one who believes in Calvinism and you're a sovereign uh, you know, person, or if you're a, no, I fully believe in man's responsibility. I just want to tell you, either way, it didn't catch God off guard. God wasn't confused when he created mankind, and he knew that there would be a, a mass of mankind going to hell, that there would be a, a reality for this. I think about what it tells us in Peter, that indeed Christ, you know, that his sacrifice, him the perfect sacrifice, was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Like before he even created anything, he already knew, I'm going to have to send my son. I'm sending my son to die for them. I mean, it wasn't like he tried and go, man, that went badly. <laughs> you know, now we got to get a Band-Aid in there. You know, it's not, like, it's not like he thought, well, I really thought you guys were going to do better than that. No, you knew. It's like, I know what you guys are going to be. I know exactly what's going to happen. I know where this is going, and I'm going to have to send my son. He's going to have to die on the cross to save. I mean, that's where we are. That it would tell us even in Revelation, it says, all who dwell on the earth will worship him, that is the Antichrist, whose names have not been written in the book of life, of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. It's like he said, you know, from the, from the foundation of the world, there's a, a, a book of names that God knew who he was gonna save and, and he was slain. I mean, it was already decided that Christ was gonna die in the midst of that. So here in the midst of this, you know, there's, there's, there's weight here and wonder and again, please don't, you know, take it wrongly or go, you know, kind of go to a bat, but God knew. I mean, there's just something there. It's like, yeah, he knows what the world is. He knows exactly where it is. And however you want to understand it, you know, that in the sense that, you know, needed to have choice or needed to have free will or however that works, but he knew. And yes, even that's going to work out for all things, for, for working his purposes, his glory, because everything is moving that way. And again, I think about that. We talked, I quoted from Revelation a moment ago, but I'll just put it up in Revelation 4 has the, the elders who fall down before the throne, casting their crowns uh, before him, and they sing a song. And they say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they were existed. They, 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 were, they exist and they were created. There's just not anything that, that didn't, that God says, I, I, I made that. Now sin twists it and goes wrong, but he knew that's where it was. And there's just power behind this. There's just reality of the God that we serve that in one sense becomes um, something really comforting. Again, I don't have time to go into this deeply, but, you know, that you look at a God who's not, you know, panicking. You know, it's like, I didn't think the world was going to go this way. Like, I had no idea. You know, I'm, I'm fretting as much as you. It's like, I know. I knew exactly what was going to happen. And, I, and, and, and I, I created it. I gave it space. Yes, even because they're heading to judgment, but I know. I know where it is, and I know what's happening, and, and there's, there's power in his goodness, there's power in his sovereignty, which, again, he just draws us quickly to understand. Yeah, he made it all. He made it all, even the wicked for the day of doom. All right, well, we'll leave that and continue through, because we're still thinking about lives lived for him, and that has you know, validation in it, because everything's meant to flow that direction. 
But everyone, he tells us in verse 5, everyone proud in his heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. So the negative statement is everyone who is proud in heart. And that really becomes almost the definition of sin in many ways. I think about it in Habakkuk. He really divides mankind into two places. He says the just will live by faith, but the proud, his soul is not upright in him. That really it's either you, you know, you've humbled yourself and believed upon God or you think way too much of yourself. Uh, you're prideful. Uh, you know, that the proud in heart, it is that place. And yet it says, hey, that's, that's an abomination to God. He looks upon this mankind, and, and, and so this idea that he even created the wicked for the day of him, it's not like he's excited over sin. It's not like he's like, I really, I'm good with it. No, it's like, I hate it. I hate watching the, the, the brokenness, the, the people who live in rebellion, whose hearts are filled with pride, that goes everything there. And he says, here's the deal. You know, though they join forces. Okay, quick pause. We need to quickly understand this, and some of you have been with us, and I like the New King James, and I've told you that several times, uh, and King James as well, because the translators, when they were translating the Hebrew into the English, sometimes added words to make sentence make sense, but whenever they did that, they put it in italics in, in, in the Bible. So you would look there, and the idea is that you would know these are added words to help the sentence make sense, but they're not actually there, and this is one of those ones that's just kind of odd. Because the, the first three words there, though they join, that's an italic, so that's not actually in the text. In the text, it just says forces. Uh, you know, forces, none will go unpunished. And that's part of the problem. Like, what, they, what do you mean? In fact, the word forces literally means hand. It has hand or sometimes kind of refers to strength. And so Bible students and, and commentators and, and people trying to translate it really wrestle with this. And, and really, it could go a number of ways. It could mean that it kind of hand in hand, and thus that's how the New King James throws it in there that, you know, though, you know, people join hands in their rebellion, uh, though, uh, you know, that they, you know, kind of get a, a large number of people, that's still not going to go well. Could be that. It could be a statement that no matter how many people rebel, that's not going to, you know, they're not going to overthrow the, the kingdom of God or in any way stop that. Possible. It could be the idea of just strength. The word hand sometimes is that. So it can be just like, no matter how strong they are, no matter how you know, rebellious that person is, no matter how rich or wealthy or, you know, it's not going to work. Yeah, like it's, it's, it's not going to go well for them. Or it could just be even the idea of a pledge. And so some of you might have uh, a New Living Translation or NIV. It goes that way, where it says, you know, almost as if it's saying, I raise my hand on a pledge. Like, I promise you, it's not going to go well with them. Now, again, which is it? I don't really know. But either way, it's kind of the same thing. I mean, the idea that he comes down to the end, that he's just saying, none were going to go unpunished. I mean, I don't know whether you want to think about that as a bunch of people gathering together or very, very strong, or whether it's just God telling you, I just want you to know, nobody's getting away with anything. You know, this rebellious world that is rejecting God and rejecting his ways, who's living in pride, yeah, judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. And God's going to deal with that. And so however it lands in the first part of it, the second is, per is perfectly clear, and that's really what we need to know. And again, it's a comforting and yet sobering reality that we think about people who are not trying to do God's will and not living in His ways, pridefully arrogant. It's just going to go badly. Can I pause and just say, I don't know if that's you here this evening. I don't know if you're in this room right now. I don't know if you're online or in an overflow Again, the reality is that God divides mankind into two categories. 
those who, again, Habakkuk tells us, you know, the just will live by faith, but the proud, his soul is not upright in him. If you're a follower of Jesus and you've believed on him, then you've lived your life by faith. By faith, we're saved. We've believed upon God. We've accepted the sacrifice of his son. We, we're living our life that way, and that's the only way to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But if you're on the other side of this, if you're not living a life with Jesus, then God tells you the problem is, is, is that you're a prideful person who believes more about yourself, somehow trusts in yourself, and that's gonna go badly. Nobody is gonna survive that. There's nobody who's gonna get to heaven and be like, well, you know, I was, I was a pretty good person. It's like, no, that's not gonna go well. And so can I just tell you, if that's you, by God's grace today, you know, move from rebellion to, to faith, move from pride to believing in Jesus because none are gonna go unpunished. Hell is real, judgment is certain, and uh, you don't want to go that direction. May God rescue even now if that is you. Okay. Verse 6 kind of begins to speak about that. It begins to speak to this whole thing. It says, in mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. So the positive is in mercy and truth, and the idea is in God's mercy, in God's faithfulness, His love, and in truth, atonement is provided for iniquity. Atonement is made, and by the fear of the Lord, and by, by, by recognizing His one departs from evil. So it begins by this, this statement that there's a, there's a way that sin is going to be provided for, this place where this prideful person whose soul is not upright in him, that's, there's a way to get that fixed, and it's God. The idea of, of, of His mercy and, and His truth is what he would provide. Now, I quickly need to say that because every now and then there's been a few people that have taken this verse like, hey, as long as your motives are pure, it's going to go well with you. That's not what he's talking about. I mean, it's not like, hey, if your mercy and your, you can't be true. It's, not, it's his mercy. In fact, I really like the way it speaks of Jesus in John's gospel. And it says in John 1:14, and the word, which is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. It is grace, mercy, grace, connected in in deep ways, but just kind of, it's grace, it's truth, and Jesus, he is the one, the full display of that. He is the full display of God's compassion and his grace, and yet truth. And of his fullness, he goes on to say, we have all received grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth. Well, that's what we get through Jesus, that he's the one that, that, that can meet us there. He's the one that through grace and truth, through his death, through his sacrifice, and the God sending his son to become a man, that the word became flesh. It was God's answer to the brokenness of mankind. It was God's solution to the rebellion and sinfulness hearts that are there, and so it's incredibly good. He's telling us, hey, you know what? In God's mercy and truth, atonement is provided. It's provided. Now, again, I like the way it words it. Hear it as clear as I can. But you, but you need it. You know, you need Jesus. It's, it, not everybody gets the, 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 the grace of, of God, God. Only those who believe upon him. Only those who are saved. And so it's provided. It's sufficient. But you've got to believe. And then there's forgiveness. And it's incredibly good. That said, he adds to it. It's not like we just live this place like, I'm so glad God is good and merciful and his truth does it. And so I'm glad that just solves everything. He says, no, uh, with that, if you really fear God, it would move you away from 
the rebellion that we just talked about in the previous verse, this pride, uh, you know, that would make us do wrong things, that there would become a place like, I fear God, and, and because of that, I seek to move away from evil. Now, a bunch that could be said here, but let me try to come at it from a different direction. It's probable that most of you tonight land on one side of this proverb more than the other. It is probable that all of you tonight land on one side of this proverb more than the other, and that some of you, boy, what you are, it's like, man, God is gracious, and he's merciful, and forgives me, and Jesus is amazing, and my sin, all my sin is gone, my sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, yes, and forgiveness is there, and that's a good, good thing. But for some of you, you're so comfortable there, but you've lost the fear of God. You've lost the place that would also say, I don't want to sin. I don't want to do that. I don't want to, I don't want to grieve my father. Like, I, 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 I mean, yes, I'm forgiven, but that doesn't, you know, give me license to sin. And so again, for some, you might be so comfortable on the, on the grounds of God's forgiveness that you've lost the fear of God. You've lost the, the, the place of, 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 God, I don't want to grieve you. I don't want to do what's wrong. And so God would draw you. He's like, yeah, embrace the mercy and grace, but also the fear of God. Others of you, you're better on this side over here. Like you live in this terror. Like you're like, God is mad at me all the time. I just know it. Like he is, I mean, I don't even know how lightning isn't just zapping me right now. I mean, I would kill me now. That's what I would do. I mean, I'm, he's probably so tired of me. I mean, and, and you live in this uh, fear of him, but you never embrace his mercy. You never go, you know what? I'm so glad for Jesus because I am not that. And so, but you live in this terrible, you know, place where you just are always trying to do the right thing and yet you know you're not good and, and yet you live under this cloud of condemnation. And I just want to tell you, these two things go together. As we navigate this world that we're living in, there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness for our sin. Our sin, not in part, but the whole, that we can come in and confess our sins and all of our sins will be forgiven. But that should make us fear God. It doesn't make us, you know, I'm just so glad I'm forgiven. I'm just going to send it up. No, it's like, I don't want to grieve him. Yeah, I'm forgiven. But why would I, that, that doesn't create rebellion. That should create obedience. That should make, I'm forgiven and I, I want to honor him. And so the two go together. And, and so we're trying to walk through this place of figuring out how to do life and, and, and dealing with our failure, dealing with our sin. Yeah, in one sense, in a nugget, it just gives us this beautiful balance. Yes, and mercy and truth, atonement, forgiveness, the washing away of our sin is provided. But we also should fear God and be like, I don't want to sin. I don't want to sin. I don't want to grieve him. I don't want to need to do that. And it should be both. All right. Flip over to the next page. Verse 7 gives it to us this way. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Pretty simple proverb, and so we won't spend much time on it. Probably, in many ways, this is one of the few, again, proverbs that isn't really a comparison. It's more of just a statement. When, when you are trying to please God, when you are trying to do that, He works so that even enemies will be at peace with Him, that He'll work in your life that, that is a way that works in incredible ways. Now, let's just be clear. This isn't a promise that it always works that way, because persecution is real. Blessed are those who are persecuted for the name of Jesus. And so this isn't to say, hey, if you love Jesus, your world's going to be great. 
But there is a sense if you love him, if you're trying to walk in his ways, boy, the, he has a way of navigating your world so that even those who are at odds at you, sometimes they can, he can bring peace with that. Or let me put it the other way. When your ways don't please the Lord, the whole world becomes against you. And, and he will make it that way sometimes. That, that it, it, as you are rebelling against him, it's funny how far everything goes wrong. And it's like, man, the whole world, yeah, that's probably the problem. You know, it's like, you know, get right with him, and there's a way that he begins to navigate even the difficult spaces in life. Yes, dealing with rebellious and hard people all around us, but if we're saying, God, I want to please you, I'm going to go back to the verse 4 there and say, God, I'm going to commit my life to you. I'm going to, I'm going to do it for you. And, and if I'm trying to please you, then you'll take care of some of the other mess and confusion of around my life. And it's a beautiful reality. It's a reality that's simply true and would call us to that. Now, locking in with that, he kind of adds to it in verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. It's one of the Proverbs that has been repeated a couple times, but in this context, it's helpful. The idea is it's better. It's better to have a little and yet have righteousness to have what God would want you, to be right with God and to be walking in His ways than to have incredible wealth, to have vast revenues without justice, without righteousness, with wickedness in those places. And it's as, it's as if to, again, say, you know, if you could see it. Now, again, please don't understand this. It doesn't, it's not saying, hey, if you're righteous, you're necessarily going to be poor or if you're wicked, you're necessarily going to be rich. It's not true that way. It doesn't really work. But he's almost just telling you, if you have a choice, if there's a choice laid before you, it's like, okay, I can do what God wants, and it might cost me. I might not get the promotion. I might not get the job. I might not, but I'd rather go down that road and be pleasing to him than be like, okay, so I am going to buy into the lies of the world. I am going to be deceptive, and I am going to lie, and I am going to do the wrong things because I want money. It's like, that, that would be a horrible choice because it would be so much worse for you. And so it's just calling us to embrace that which is right, no matter what the cost is, no matter, it, it doesn't always get you ahead in the world. And he calls us to that place of valuing right over anything else, that that would become the place that he would certainly want you and I to walk in. Wow. So it's building. I mean, I hope you kind of begin to fill it. And now we arrive kind of at the end of this section. It really changes in, in verse 10 to another section but really here in verse 9, and actually we'll still come back to it later in this chapter, but these first nine verses really have wrapped around a theme of understanding and walking in the ways that God has for us. And so we come to Proverbs 16, 9, which simply says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So this one is probably my favorite proverb, at least in Proverbs 16. Okay, because like there's a lot of, but I love this proverb. Uh, in fact, I will quote it all the time. If you know me, if you hang around me, you will hear me talk about it. It will flow out probably on a weekly basis. Um, my wife and I talk about it a lot. It is probably one of her favorite verses in the Bible. I mean, it, I don't know if it's her life verse, but it's probably one of her favorites, and she's not here tonight. She's traveling to go see her mom, and she's like, the night, you're going to cover Proverbs 16, 9 is the night that I had to go take care of my mom, but that's just the way it is. So, uh, but I'm thinking about her right now, and so it's just a verse we love. We love talking about it. We love thinking about it, and there's much more than I have time to give it to you, but let's quickly walk it through. So the good thing is a man's heart plans. And so we're talking again about this place that was kind of talked about back in verse one. Hey, this place where inside our heart, we're making purposes, we're thinking about things, we're wanting things. He says, you know, a man does that. 
A man plans his way, but the Lord, he directs. He does something different. He directs his steps. So the question for the Bible student is, what is this proverb about? Well, let me pause and say there is disagreement. And there is good reason to be dis- have disagreement, but it can point to a few things. There are a number of Bible students that really think that this proverb is simply a restatement of what we saw in verse 1. Which, if you remember, you go back uh, to verse 1 and you, and you see it there. You know, it tells us the preparations of the heart belong to a man, but the answer of the tongue is from God. And so some would say it's just saying the same thing. Like, we prepare, God decides. You know, we do this, but God is the one who determines you know, really where our life will go. That's, that's good, and, and that's, I, I think that's true, but I would say I think this proverb is not just a restatement, but it's saying something more. So if it's saying something more, what is it? Well, in part, it is a statement about how God can redirect us, uh, that we make a plan, and then sometimes God interrupts our plans. Like we have, like, I think I'm going to do this, and God's like, oh, I have something different in mind. And to simply say it that way, that is true. I mean, if you have tried to live your life for God, if you have committed your way to the Lord, like verse 4, and you're trying to do His ways, you will find that sometimes God has a whole different idea than you do. And sometimes you're like, man, I had this great plan, I'm going to do this thing, and God's like, eh, no, you're not. I have a different plan than that. And that willingness to say, I can change course, that I made a plan, and then God directed me differently, that willingness of being able to say, yes, okay, God, I'm going I'm to switch that up, I, and I'm not going to stay with what I thought. If you change, then I'll go with that. Uh, Chuck Smith used to have one of those blessed statements. He's, you know, you know, blessed are the flexible because you won't be broken. You know, blessed when you're like, okay, I'm, you know, I can change. You know, like, I, I, I can, you, God, you do something. I, I thought we were going this way, and that changed. Now, I hope you know what that's like, because that if you're trying to live for God, that will happen. In fact, I think about how James tells it to us. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such a city, and we're going to spend a year there, and buy, and sell, and make a profit. So, so if you're the person who's planning, like you got planned, like this is what I'm going to do, this is my one-year plan, this is my five-year plan, this is what I got, I'm going to go this direction, this is what, this is my plan. I mean, I've thought about it. I've thought about it intently. I've thought about what it's going to look like. He says, okay, if that's you, come now. If that's you and you do that, whereas you do not even know. You don't know what will happen tomorrow. You know, you, what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. He says, okay, so you're making plans and you don't even know tomorrow. You have no idea what's coming. You don't know how the world's going to change tomorrow. You don't know how your life is going to change tomorrow. And, and so in one sense, there's something there that he calls us away from. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So again, he's calling us away from arrogance, which is good for us because we're kind of thinking about that already here in Proverbs where he told us, hey, you know, the person who's doing pride, that's not going to go well for God. And so he says, I want you to live your life. So yeah, you have to make plans. I mean, nobody's like, I don't make any plans. That's what it is. I just don't do plans. It's like, you make plans. Yeah, you do. But there is a place where it says, we should be able to say, God, this is my plan, but you know what? You want to change? I'm in. And it doesn't, this isn't just a, a, a word thing, like you have to say that. I mean, sometimes Christians get that this way. It's like, yeah, let's have lunch tomorrow, if the Lord wills. You know, it's like, like if you don't say it that way, then maybe I'm saying it wrong. Please understand, this isn't like you have to, you know, add that to every statement you make. But it should be in your heart all the time. 
It's like, here's my plan. I, I'm, I'm planning tomorrow to go to work. I'm planning tomorrow to have lunch with somebody. But you know what? It might change, you know, because God does that. God sometimes redirects, and God's like, mm, I have a different plan for you. We're going to go different directions. And you should be like, okay, that, I surrender. Like, yes, you know, God, I, I, I'm willing for you to change my life. I'm willing for you to redirect my course. And so that reality becomes essential. And the rebellion that would be in our life that would fight that becomes a really bad thing. So part of what's in this proverb is to simply tell us that, like, okay, be willing. Be willing for God to direct your steps. But maybe my favorite part of thinking about this proverb is I think it's not just a a statement of God redirecting our life. I think it's a comparison how we plan versus how the way that God directs our life. We make plans, and we just do, and it's not bad. We're not saying it's wrong. We're not saying you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying we do it, but God directs our life by directing our steps. We make plans. God directs steps, and those are two different things. Those happen in two different ways. Let me just kind of put a different little uh, page on the screen. I've I've done a whole, you know, study on this on a Sunday morning, and so I'm just going to borrow a little bit of the screen I have there. So if you're over here thinking, how do I get to X marks the spot? How do I get to God's will for my life? I just want to tell you a couple quick things. First of all, God really does guide lives. I, I, I hope I don't have to spend a lot of time on that, but there are people that really live their life like, I don't think God actually cares. I don't think God cares about my day. I don't think he cares about my life. I'm just going to tell you that's a lie. God knows everything about you. He knows every thought that you think. He knows everywhere you're going, and he's telling us, I want you to do the whole thing for me. And he's telling us that he cares about our lives. In fact, I like the way it gives it to us in Psalm 37 that the steps of a good man, they're ordered by God. That God, you know, he, he does that. He delights in his way. And so is God involved in our life? Does he care about how I spend my Mondays, my Tuesdays, my Thursdays, my Friday, does he, yeah, he cares. He cares about directing your life, and so we, we, we should begin with a statement like, okay, I want that, so how do I get there? God does not give plans. Now, let me just not make that like a solid, like he never. Sometimes he'll give a vision. Sometimes he'll give an overall thing of letting somebody know. He'll tell Paul, hey, Paul, here's what I got for you. You're going to suffer for me. Like this is, this is the future. That, but he doesn't give him a map. Uh, he gives nobody a map. I, I don't think, I just want to say it very clearly. I don't think there's anybody in this room who's like, no, Jim, he did. He did. He gave me a map. And so I know where I'm going to be on Monday. And I know where I'm going to be on Tuesday. And I know exactly how long everything's going to take. And I know um, I, I got, he, he doesn't give us a plan that way. He doesn't lay that out. But it's right there that most of us struggle. Because for many of us, we, we, we do want God's will. Or I hope you want God's will. But for many Christians, they're frustrated. And maybe that's not you. Maybe it's not you tonight, but it might be. And they're frustrated because it's like, I'm asking for God to show me his will and he won't show me. I I keep asking for his will and he doesn't show me. And I'm just going to tell you, for most of us, what we mean by that is we want God to give us the plan. We want God to tell us, where am I going? When do I go? How long will it last? Um, And he's not answering. And there's silence. It's like, God God does not guide my life. I, I keep asking for his will and he's not doing but here he's telling us God doesn't give you the plan. He does direct steps that he shows us the next step that's right in front of you. Like, hey, take that step. Take that one. And, and here's what I want to simply say. It might be that you're here tonight and you have no idea what the next step is tonight. That may be where you are. And if that's so, I have, and then I think you should ask God. But I think for most of you tonight, you're like, um, 
I think I was supposed to be here at church tonight, and then I think I'm going home. Uh, yep, think it, not really, you know, not, I don't think he's wanting me to hop on a plane to Honduras. It's just not really, you know, not really impossible. It's not, I'm not worried about it. I mean, I kind of know what the next few hours look like, and that's what God's guiding. And then tomorrow he'll guide the next thing. And sometimes those steps will, will be like, hey, take this step. Take, and, you know, if you're like me, here's what happens. God begins to direct my step. Like, I'm taking a step, and he's like, take a step to the left. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna take a step to the left. But then my brain kicks into gear, and it's like, I know where we're going. I got the whole plan. I can take that step, and pretty soon I've figured out the next 400 steps. It's like, we're gonna go here, and we're gonna do this, and we're gonna do that, and it's like, and then it's like, I take the next step, and God's like, actually, now take a right. It's like, oh, okay, well, I just, I wasn't thinking it was gonna go that way. I mean, I kind of, so much for my 400 steps, and so the key in our life is to get to the place of saying, God, just, I'm open. I mean, I'm open on a daily basis. I mean, you're not gonna tell me what the rest of 2022 looks like, but you will tell me how to do today. You will meet me today. And I just wanna tell you, that's God's promise. He says, do you want me to guide your life? I'll do it, I'll show you steps. And again, I just think if you're here tonight and you're like, I don't, God doesn't, he doesn't show me. It's like, do do you have any doubt where you're supposed to be today? Do you have any doubt what the rest of the day looks like? Uh, No, then he has done it and he will do it. And you should begin, like, you, you should begin, you're like, God, show me if there's something I need to do today that somebody I need to call, or if there's some decision I need to make that may affect my future, lead me in it. But he'll guide your steps so that it becomes one day at a time, which is what Jesus said, right? He said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own. You just worry about today. You worry about today, being in my will, seeking me first, and, you know, giving me all your cares just today. I'll give you today my daily bread, today. It's like, okay. So you mean today. You don't mean tomorrow, right? You don't mean like a not, no, it's like today. The key of the Christian life is today. It's this space where we're there. And so I go back to that verse that I was talking about a moment ago in, in Romans. It says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So actually, verse one, I probably should have put it on the screen. Verse one was what we already talked about. It says, give God. Your life is a living sacrifice. It's acceptable, holy, what's pleasing to him. It just makes sense. You should do verse four. Commit your way to the God. Do everything for him. And he says, then if you're gonna do that, and if you're not gonna let the world decide your course, you're not gonna let the world be the thing that squeezes you into its mold, which is a good translation of that, but you're gonna say, God, change me. I mean, just show me what you want, change me on the inside. I said, guess what? You're in the center of God's will. Now, again, I just want you to think about how incredible he didn't say, if you do this, I'll give you the plan. He says, if you're there, you can't miss it. If you're there, I won't let you miss it. You know, I will, I will redirect your life. I will draw you into that. I will be the one so that you'll say, hey, this is good, and this is acceptable, and this is the perfect will of God. Like, how did I get here? Because you, you surrendered your life to God. You lived for him, and then you let him kind of change you, like day by day, and then all of a sudden, you're in the center of his will. You know, because... You're day by day living your life with him, for him, to him, and that's exactly what God is calling you to. I think about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says much the same thing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So you just trust him. Don't trust yourself. Don't try to figure it out because you will never figure it out. But acknowledge him. Live for him, and guess what? He'll direct you. He'll lead you into everything that God does. He will guide your steps which is this incredible verse that calls us to live this way.
that's probably where we're going to end tonight. I mean, we didn't make it that far into us, but it's a good place for us to land in some ways. I put a little, so little pictures even at the bottom of your page there, which probably didn't give you room to do it, but I just thought, hey, I just liked it. Just, you know, if you do this, God would direct your steps. If you would be this, then God would be the one that would lead you into the things he has for you. And so I'm just inviting you to it. I mean, all that we've seen in these first nine verses, I just want to tell you they're profound nine verses that would show you how to live your life, how to walk in the ways that God has for you, how not to do it. But I invite you to it, that you say, okay, God, you know, I make plans, you overrule. I'm going to commit my way to you, and you'll establish my heart. And I'm, I'm going I'm to say, God, I, I, I know this, so you're going to direct my steps, and I'm, I'm all in for that. I'm in to say, God, you show me. You direct my life because I want to walk in that. I didn't invite you to that. I invite you to a life that lives that way, walks that way, finds that God is as faithful as he says he is, that he would direct your steps. So I need to end there, and let's just go before him and ask him to do it right now, and hoping he meets you in this even at this moment. God, thank you that you are a God who's good, and you are involved. You created everything, even the rebellious world that's going in a way that grieves you that you find to be an abomination. God, thank you that you'd rescue us from that by Jesus. Thank you for just the, the sacrifice that has made atonement for us so that we could be delivered from our failures. But God, now I want to live for you. I want to walk in your ways and just show us how. I believe that you're faithful, that you said you would direct our steps. And so as for me, I just want to say, God, amen. Let's do that. You direct my steps. You show me step by step how to walk, day by day. I want to walk with you. And where that takes left turns or right turns that I wasn't expecting, I'm in. I want to go. I want to see what you have because I trust you. Lord, forgive me where at times my, my own plans get in the way. So I just want to lay those down and say your, your will be done, not mine. May you lead us in everything you have for us and may you show us all that you have for us. We pray for that now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, we're going to close with a couple of songs. And again, I just want to tell you again, it's a couple. And, and the reason is a couple. We just want to just have a moment to worship. Uh, have a place that before you rush out of here and, and even leave this, that God would just kind of let this sink. Now, maybe you want to sing out louder. Maybe just some of what we talked about. You just need to let it set for a moment. And so we're just not rushing out. We're going to close with this couple songs and just say, God, we just want to, Give you our life and live for you and hoping wherever that is that he meets you in this moment and you are enabled just to make him the focus of your heart. So let's do that together in worship right now.